we're coming to the end of a four-week series called Called. And um, called. And who remembers what uh, was the first of those series? Lois spoke, the little clue there. Called to God, called to... Yeah, we, we're looking at four areas we feel God's really focusing us on in this season. One of them, so Lois spoke about called to God. There's something about learning to pray as a church, which you, you've heard us talk about a lot, and learning to move in the supernatural that believe God's underlined for us. That's, that's called to God. The second week, someone else spoke. Simon spoke. You can't answer this question. <laughs> what did Simon speak about? Called to people. God's called us to be a people that go to people in community, in mission. It's all about people. And then last week, Steve spoke about called to the city. God's given us a heart for the city and a, and a mandate to impact our city. And my, my t- title today is called to think beyond. Um, I thought about whether it's think beyond or go beyond or act beyond. There's various words we could have put in there. And I, I ended up with think because I think there's a perspective change once God wants to give us that will lead to action. But it starts with understanding what his heart for the nations is. So where's my little clicker? So, uh, that's not on. Adam, can you click me on, please? Um, who remembers this from last week? Yeah, Steve spoke from this passage last week. This is, he's kind of mashing two passage, passages together just to help us understand the word glory. But the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory, the abounding love, grace, compassion, slowness to anger of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And if you weren't here last week, who was here last week? Many of us. If you weren't here last week, you need to catch up on that one. He spoke about a number of biblical principles for God's vision for the world, vision for the planet. And really, what I'm talking about this week is really part two of that kind of series. He spoke about God's called us beyond uh, for the city. I'm thinking about beyond the city to the nations. So given that that's God's heart in the Old Testament. It's no, it should be no surprise to us that um, Jesus then said to the church, his people, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We know that as the Great Commission, probably one of the most famous Bible verses. Go and make disciples of all nations. And he repeats that after, he's, after he, well, just before he goes back to heaven, Jesus said, wait uh, in Jerusalem. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus repeated this thing that was in the Father's heart from the beginning for all nations. And as Steve um, prophesied earlier, we're freed from our sin, from our bondages. But this is what we're freed for, church. We're freed to make a difference in the world, to be God's people, to be God's team in the world. Let's just look at how that played out in the first few hundred years of the early church. The early church has heard this message. Let's see what happened to them. find that quite moving. That's just 600 600 years to some of you seems like a very long time, but 600 years is not a huge amount of time in terms of people movements. And 
it's amazing, isn't it, how the early church responded just in those first few centuries because of the call of Jesus to go beyond. And I find myself looking at that video and being quite moved and at the same time quite sobered how I find myself wondering how is it that 2,000 years later so many of our local churches have lost that vision for life beyond the local. We have a local vision. We have a vision for here. We have a vision for us as Christians having good teaching or something. And that's, that's, a, that's part of what God calls us to do. But our vision has become constrained. Um, we sometimes compare those two things like this. Uh, we talk about parochial thinking. Parochial, parochial is from the word parish. It just means we think about the patch immediately in front of us. It's bounded. It's about, I'll explain that in a moment. It's about coming to us, coming to our church services. And the, 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 the contrast that I want to make this morning is what I'm going to call apostolic thinking. I'm going to explain the word apostolic in a moment. But apostolic thinking, it's unbounded, and it's about going to people. Parochial thinking says we've got various little boxes, and we, have a, you know, we think about these parishes, these areas, these, these towns and cities that we're responsible for. There's often a church that's, that's led by one person uh, trying to do everything, and... There's a come-to-us mentality too often in church. And the contrast I see in the scriptures is what we're calling apostolic thinking. There's a, it's unbounded. It's, it's, it's a broader vision. Um, it's about going to them. And at the heart of it is a team rather than just one person, one leader trying to do everything. That's the contrast I want to make this morning. Um, and we're going to look at the scriptures in just a moment. And just in case you think this is some strange idea that I've, I've got, the... the Anglican Church um, are starting to just get their heads around this again over the last few decades. The Anglican, when you look at a map of our country, there are Anglican parishes. I mean, I looked at the map of Oxford. There are tens of parishes in Oxford. It's quite quite surprising. And the Anglican Church have seen that the parish church model has served a certain season, but we're now in a season, we talk about re-evangelizing the UK, the need for the UK to be re-evangelized. And they're talking about what they they refer to as minster churches. Minsters were uh, as a kind of a re, rediscovery of an early mode of church where minsters were places where there was a team, a kind of semi-monastic team based, and they went out into the countryside evangelizing and offering pastoral care. And you often see stone crosses in various towns and villages. They went out to these places to, to, in a mobile, dynamic way. And that's, there's a change of mindset that God is calling us to. And it's not just something slightly weird that we're thinking about. This is something God's calling the church as a whole in the UK to do. In a moment, um, rather than just looking at history and what others are doing, we're going to look at what it says in the Bible. But just just let me explain this word apostolic for a moment, because we've used it already and we're going to use it a bit more. The word apostolic um, is about going. It's it's from a Greek word that means sent one or envoy. We might think, I like the sort of understanding of ambassador of the king because God you know there's a bit in Corinthians where Paul talks about us being ambassadors and envoys and and um, it's it's about going we, we find the modern word missionary from this too and we'll come back to that in a moment there's a picture here of British passport this is a very special British passport the queen's messenger courier diplomatic that's, that's the sense of the word. It's a special messenger. It's a, someone who's been sent on behalf of the king or the queen. Um, our 
ambassadorial role is on behalf of King Jesus. We're called to go into the nations and take his message, to take his love and kindness with us. And from this word apostolic, which is about going and being sent, we, we, we talk about apostolic vision, which is a vision for God's purposes in the world beyond the local church. And that's what I'm trying to impart to you something of this morning, is that apostolic vision, a vision for life beyond our OCC parish. It needs an apostolic team, and we'll talk about that in a moment, to, to, to drive that. And it needs, an, there's a call, there's a hub often of, of an apostolic base, an apostolic church. We're going to look at three examples in Jerusalem, Antioch, and Ephesus from the Acts of the Apostles, and just look at those and what we can learn from them. And why am I telling you all this? Uh, in the West today, I would suggest we have a partial view of church. We have a view of church that's just a bit static and just a bit parochial and just a bit um, stuck. And God wants to renew his church. Uh, Let me just explain a little bit more about this term apostolic team. Uh, Trying to understand the word apostolic, and then we're going to look at the scriptures. Apostolic teams, we see from the story in the Acts of the Apostles, they pioneer and plant and nurture local churches. And we could see it this way. The apostle comes into a situation. Actually, the apostolic team comes into a situation. It's not just about the apostles. They always traveled as team and went with team. They come into a situation, and a number of communities emerge. People come to faith. People come into a living relationship with King Jesus, and communities emerge. We call them churches. And that apostolic team continues to bring nurturing input, nurturing relationship, care, concern, into that family of churches. There's a phrase in 2 Corinthians 10 that refers to an apostolic sphere. That's what that means. It's a, it's a family of churches that have an ongoing relationship. And we could see the, the role, if we look just drill in a bit more, and say, how do apostolic teams engage with specific local churches? So this blob here is a local church. And there's five gifts described in Ephesians 4. The shepherd, the pastor, uh, whose role is to bring the community together, to build good community, to build strong community. And that's a good thing. We need absolutely need that gifting. We see teachers who have a foundational role. They lay foundations of biblical teaching and understanding in churches. The thing is, that's often where our churches in the West stop these days. So we have pastors and teachers, and we understand those ministries and what they do, and we value them, and we appreciate them. We call our church leaders pastors or teachers. I mean, that's the, that's the kind of terminology. But that's a partial picture from Ephesians 4. We also see the role of the apostle, and the apostle is a disruptive ministry. They disrupt this community, which could be a little bit static, and say, come on, church, we're going somewhere. God's called us to the nations. The, the apostle has a going-to-people role. The evangelist uh, we have a little bit of an understanding of evangelists. Often they sit sort of slightly on the edge of church, but actually they're supposed to be part of church, connected to church, bringing people in. The evangelist has a concern for the lost, for people who do not yet have a living relationship with this king. And we then see the role of the prophet. John, what John did this morning was, a, was ministering as a prophet. He, he, see, he saw something that God was trying to say to us, and he, he, he shared that with us. Prophets are, are another disruptive ministry. They disrupt our comfortable, cozy lives because they say, what does God want? And we absolutely need prophets. We absolutely need that. that two, there's a two-way arrow there because the prophet calls the church to say, what does God want? 
and brings God's revelation and vision into the church. And my concern is that we, we, God is calling us to be this kind of church, a rounded, we might call it a fivefold church, not just a church that has good pastors and good teachers. We absolutely need those things. But it also has good apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic engagement. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, un- I'm unpacking there the meaning of the word apostolic. We're using that word in those, those kind of senses. So let's come to look at the Bible then. Um, the church in Acts. Uh, we're going to look at three uh, significant city-based apostolic churches in the book of Acts, in the story. The timeline of Acts goes a bit like this. Um, this is potted version. So there was a base in Jerusalem. We call that base one. That was our first apostolic base. And you can see on the map on the right here, this is a picture from that video we just looked at. You can see the spread into the surrounding towns and cities and villages and countryside from these cities. The cities were not just isolated, sort of parochially thinking churches. They had a, they had a vision for the region around them. Um, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. Um, in Acts 8, 1, there was a persecution. And uh, they, the, many of the disciples in the church ended up leaving Jerusalem and going out into the countryside. We'll come back to that a little bit later. In Acts 10, they ended up going to the Gentiles. Peter has a vision, this very vivid picture you might remember from the story in Acts of a sheet coming down full of unclean food. For his Jewish religious background, there were certain foods that were unclean, and the sheet comes down, and God said, eat it. Eat it. Quite a a shocking image, but God used that um, vision, that that dream that Peter had to, to, to move him beyond the boundaries of what he saw as acceptable uh, culture into Gentile mission. And in Acts 11 and 13, we see the, the base in Antioch established. That's the next blob up on that map. And again, you can see a bit of a purple spread around there. They, they, they impacted their, their region. And then, then thirdly, we'll look at the base in Ephesus, which is the, the another blob there. And again, you see again a purple spread coming out from that base. These, what I'm trying to show you is these churches, as we read the story of Acts, these churches had, a, had an impact on their region. They had an apostolic vision. They had a vision beyond the local. They had a vision for a movement, a Jesus movement in their regions. So let's have a look at the, um, let's have a look at the, scriptures. Uh, if you want to try follow with me, feel free. We're going to look, first of all, at Acts 1.8, and then we're going to look at Acts 8.1. Just two little windows into the church at Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem is the focus, really, for the first several chapters of Acts, and then the focus moves to these other situations. In Acts 1.8, we've commented on it already, Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And ye will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then the story goes on and we have various, various interesting, fascinating things going on which we could talk about. It would be great. Come on to Acts 8.1. And the, just at the back end of Acts 7, there's been a persecution of a guy called Stephen. He's, he's, he's murdered by the Jews, martyred by the Jews. And in Acts 
8, the second part of Acts 8.1 says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So in these two uh, little moments, there's a lot more to be said about the church in Jerusalem. These are just two little cameos. There's a kind of implication here, and when you look at the, the commentaries, a lot of people see an implication that the church had got a bit stuck. They'd heard the thing in Acts 1-8 about go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, but they hadn't quite got around to it. And in Acts 8-1, the persecution pushes them out into these, these same two places. And I think one of the lessons we learn from the church in Jerusalem is, is you know, we, 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 shouldn't, we must not allow ourselves to get caught up with our everyday needs and activity. There's a call of God to go beyond that he is determined to lead his church into. Later on in the story of Acts, Jerusalem church comes back into focus again in Acts 15. There's a, there's a particular big meeting that goes on. We call it the Council of Jerusalem, where there's some thinking around what it means to have a, a, a mission into the Gentile world. And the, the church in Jerusalem comes back into focus later in the story. If we were to move on to Antioch then, so let's look at Acts 11. I'm just highlighting a few bits out of the story of Acts, obviously, this morning. It's, I mean, it's a fascinating read. It's a, it's, a, it's a tremendous read to understand the story of our forefathers. Acts 11, uh, 19. Acts 11, 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen's, this is the same persecution we just talked about, those who had been scattered traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cy- Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And if you come on to Acts 13, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Nisia, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who'd been brought up with Herod, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. And after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It's fascinating to me that it mentions prophets there. I suspect that someone had a prophetic revelation that they needed to send some people out. And again, this disruptive impact of prophetic ministry, sending the church out to the next phase of mission. So we see the picture here of through those couple of little extracts, the church in Antioch. It had a multi-ethnic gifted team. There were different gifts in the team. It mentions prophets and teachers. We later understand Barnabas had a pastoral ministry. He was a, he was a man that was seen as an encouraging pastoral guy. Saul goes on to be an apostolic ministry. There's a mixture of gifts in this team. And there's different kind of ethnicities represented. If we were to drill into the various names there, there's a people from different people groups that God has put together. And I believe God puts that, that mixture together because it gives then right at the heart of this church in Antioch, a vision for beyond their own situation, a vision for different people groups. They're listening to the Holy Spirit. It says, while they were fasting and praying, God said, 
I'd love to know how God said, you know, go to the Gentiles. But, you know, we don't know. All we, all we have is what's here. But, but God spoke. The Holy Spirit spoke. The Holy Spirit mobilized his people to another phase. And they were obedient and generous. They were obedient. After they fasted and prayed, they sent them off. It was as simple as that. You get the idea that God spoke all in one day. God spoke, they prayed, and they sent them off. I suspect it took a little bit longer, but it's, there's a powerful picture there of obedience to the word of the Lord that is important for, for us to learn from. And they're generous. They're sending out um, two of their, their core leadership team for the next phase of the, the work of God in the nations. So there's a obedience and generosity that we learn from that bit of the story. And then moving on to Ephesus, let's look at Acts 19. Acts 19, starting at the beginning. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. This is the same Paul that's just been referred to in Acts, in Acts 13. He changed his name along the way just to confuse us. But um, Paul arrives in Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they have a little interaction about that, and he, you know, he makes sure that they're properly filled with the Holy Spirit. And then come on to uh, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. It's a powerful little footnote there, isn't it? They, they preached, and the whole province, that was that purple blob we looked at on the map there, the whole province, it's like half of modern-day Turkey or something, the whole province heard the word of Ephesus was a significant city, a trading hub, a place where people came and went, not unlike Oxford in that sense. And through the preaching and discipleship and training that Paul did in Ephesus, the region was impacted and churches were planted. We could, we could look through that story of a number of the New Testament churches that were planted in that, in that season of mission. There's an impact there beyond the local so Ephesus was a training base. It impacted the city. There was, we read there about the dynamic in the city and the resistance they have, and we could go on and read about miracles that happened in the city and arguments. And I mean, the, the chapter goes on to a riot, actually. So they had an impact in the city. <laughs> um, but it was a training base for the region. The Holy Spirit was at work again. Some of these stories that go on, they talk about the Holy Spirit and what he was doing and the fact that Paul... It was keen that the church knew the Holy Spirit when he arrived. The Holy Spirit was at work in that church. And they were sending and supporting workers that, that, that went out from Ephesus to the region beyond. So we've, we've got three stories in, in Acts, three significant bases, apostolic bases, churches that had a vision beyond themselves. They were all significant cities that were places where people came and went for trade and education. And what I've done is drawn out nine characteristics of these bases. Uh, these are things I believe God wants us to be as a church. 
These are nine characteristics of an apostolic church. Firstly, there's vision. Vision beyond the local. Vision for other people groups. Vision for the region. There was a, it was a non-parochial vision, an understanding that God was calling them beyond. So vision matters. There was a team. We see that most clearly in Antioch, uh, where there was this diverse team of different gifts and different ethnicities. There was a Holy Spirit dynamic in all these situations that was comforting, empowering, and disrupting. Um, we love the Holy Spirit when he comforts us, don't he? Don't we? And when he empowers us for life and the things we want to do anyway. But when he disrupts us and sends us off to do other things, hmm, I'm not sure I like that quite as much, but the Holy Spirit's a disruptor in these churches because the Holy Spirit is determined that God's work of mission to the nations is going to happen. There's a training dynamic we see most clearly in Ephesus, But also, when the persecution happened in Jerusalem and the disciples, just normal men and women, were scattered because of persecution, churches were planted. That tells me some training had gone on. They weren't just, they didn't just go and sort of lick their wounds. They went and infected the regions around them with, with a love for King Jesus. There's a sending dynamic that matters significantly, uh, in these situations. There's a mobility. There's fruitfulness. There's fruitfulness. What I'm meaning here is f- local fruitfulness. Each of these situations is, in, is engaged with its city, within, with its situation. There's fruitful local ministry going on that matters. These are not just churches that are concerned with somewhere else. These are churches that are concerned with home base as well. There's a pioneering mindset, innovation. There's, they're not just doing things the same way. We've, we've skipped over this story in Acts 10 where Peter has the vision of a completely new paradigm of mission. But there's a pioneering spirit in the churches here. Eighthly, they're connected. By that, I mean they're connected to their cities. They're, they're, they're part of their city. They're connected to the nations. They've got good, we might call that relationally connected. They're, they're churches that are not just in a little bubble. They're connected with the peoples around them. And they're generous with finance and people. They're generous with giving away their people to different situations, to go and plant churches, to extend God's work in different situations. And we'll see later in the story, if you read the whole of Acts, you'd see there's a financial generosity that underpins that, that mission movement as well. Those are nine characteristics of apostolic churches. And church, this is the sort of people God's called us to be. This is not some kind of pipe dream. Um, if I look back over the last 20 or 30 years since this church was planted here, Oxford Community Church was planted in 1984. God has done a number of these things in us over the years. Just, I mean, just to pick a few, just a couple of examples. We're connected. We're connected to our city. Steve spoke about that last week very, you know, powerfully. We're connected to a, to people in nations and unreached people groups. We're connected to an international family of churches. We're connected. Uh, we're sending. We just heard from um, Tim and Kate. We heard a couple of weeks ago from Ben and Michelle. And, and we have a list on the welcome desk of, I, know, I think it's about 20 different workers in different situations, in different nations that God has connected us to. We're a sending base for workers. We have a training and discipleship culture. It's just part of who we are. It's how God's made us to be. So this is not some kind of pipe dream, church. This is how God has shaped us over 30 years. God has shaped us to be this sort of church. 
And so you could say, why, so why are we talking about it again? It's, it matters. There's a, we believe there's a reinvigoration God wants to do of this sort of culture. There's a refocusing on this mandate that he's given, it, given us that uh, comes. We could, ask, so we could ask the question, so what? What does this mean for us? Uh, one of the reasons we feel this, there's a call of God to, to reinvigorate this. We had a prophetic word. We believe, you've heard this already, we believe in God speaking prophetically. There's a word of God that underlines usually something that's always true in the scripture and that God has done for us. But God, God underlines something through prophetic ministry. And God underlined this vision to be a apostolic base of some months ago through a guy called Yinka who brought a prophetic word to us in a meeting here in this on this very stage I think um, and he said you OCC are called to leadership where are you that's the bit that got me where are you there's a call there's been a call for 30 years on us church to be a, an apostolic church a base church a church that's got a vision to be generous you're called to transform the nation, to change it. And Yinka didn't know much about us. And this is, Yinka was a prophetic ministry. He came in, he was helping us with a particular thing we were doing, and he came in and he spoke this word. It wasn't really the point of what we were doing. He brought this prophetic word in a meeting. I appointed you, this is the voice of God effectively, I appointed you and established you, the church. I chose you, I equipped you with the best I had to give. What you give, I'll put back into your lap. What you sow... I'll pour back into yours more than you've ever seen and more than you've ever had. There's the call to generosity. Pour out your heart to me. Give it all and I will give you everything I've got to give you and you'll have more than enough for yourselves. In fact, you'll find it will never run dry. OCC, you're called to be an apostolic base. Where are you? I heard that, it was probably about a year ago, I heard that and thought, God, there's something you've called us to over the years that we are in danger of letting slip. God, when God speaks like this, there's a refocusing he wants to bring to a situation. And the, 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 the fourth paragraph, this is a, there's a longer word, this is just extract. So the fourth paragraph there is about the heart. This is a heart thing. It's not about systems or being better organized or having some vision statement about the nations. This is about our hearts, church. It's about being a generous people that are obedient and want to listen to the voice of God and do what he tells us to do. So there's a, there's a challenge there to us as a, as a whole, as the church. What does it mean for us as individuals? And I want to suggest three things. I'm coming into land really, and Dan's going to just lead us in response in a moment. But three things I believe God underlined to me as I was preparing for us as individuals to respond. Three ways that each of us can play our part in this vision. It's a bit, because it could be a bit big and abstract, couldn't it? But I, think, believe, I believe it lands in each of us playing our part. Firstly, allow God to give you vision, his vision for the world. And I, I deliberately chose allow God, because this is not like plead to God or um, go and try and find it. God desperately wants to give you his vision for the world. The only problem is sometimes we block our ears because we've got our own concerns and our own priorities. Allow God to give you his vision for the world. You might consider praying through Ephesians 1, 17 to 19 daily for the next few weeks. 
This is a dangerous prayer. It's the kind of prayer that leads you to end up in West Africa with unreached people groups. So there's a little bit of a health warning on this prayer. So if you're, if you're willing, pray this prayer. It might ruin you for life. This is an apostolic prayer. Paul is praying. Paul is trying to give the church in Ephesus an understanding of really what I'm saying this morning. There's a bigger vision. There's a bigger part the church has to play. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he's called us the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. For we are God's hand, 2.10, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're praying in this prayer for wisdom and revelation and an understanding of God's purposes and that we might see the purposes God's called us to do, to the part we've been called to play. Uh, as Steve said earlier, we're freed from, we're freed for. This is what we're freed for, church. We're freed to play our part in God's great plan. This kind of prayer is dangerous because it opens, we say, God, show me your bigger purposes. Show me what you want me to do. I mean, this is just an extract. The whole of Ephesians 1 to 3 really unpacks this theme at greater length. But pray that prayer with me for the next couple of weeks if you're willing it's a dangerous prayer but it will start to you'll start to see god's bigger purposes for your life and watch out you might end up in west africa secondly um allow god to build you into this church community assuming you're you're here in this church because you think god's put you here then play your part someone once said be a disciple not a service attender Play your part, church. Be part of the body that God has called us to be. Play your part. Be connected in. Allow God to connect you in. And this takes us back to the thing Dan mentioned earlier. Church membership matters to us. Church membership is simply an expression of saying, I'm part of this body. I'm committed to this body. I'm, I want to play my part in all that God's calling us to be. You might want to consider volunteering on a Sunday morning. There's a whole bunch of things we need help with. Play, whatever, play your part somehow um, in this church. Don't just come along and enjoy. I mean, we, we love having people here just to, who come along and find God and find fresh life and faith. That's, that's really good. But play your part, church. Once God sorted you out a bit, play your part in this community. And thirdly, allow God to grow you and send you. Um, God wants us to be disciples. Disciples, Dan was talking earlier about the rabbi. The rabbi-disciple picture we see in the New Testament is that disciples are followers, they're learners, they're people who pattern their life after their rabbi. Jesus is our rabbi. We're called to pattern our lives after Jesus and follow him and do what he did. Jesus said to his first disciples, Come and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. Let Jesus make you into what he wants to make you. So allow God to grow you and send you in due course. You might want to consider asking for a personal pastor or mentor. We have this arrangement. We, we don't like to connect you with someone older in the faith who can just walk with you and mentor and coach and help you grow. That's one vehicle for growth. But allow God 
to grow you and send you. When you come on, when you come to move on from the city in due course, let it be a sending of the Holy Spirit and not just a convenience for work. <laughs> now, those things might go together, but let God send you. Let God call you on to a new situation. So, church, God is calling us to be an apostolic people and an apostolic church. Let's all play our part.